Welcome to the greatest crypto podcast in all the universe's worlds. Welcome to the Orange Brick Road. And you know it's important because I'm using this deep voice. Hello and welcome again everybody to the Orange Brick Road podcast. A podcast about cryptocurrency by cryptocurrency experts for people interested in cryptocurrency. It is great to have you here again as we explore all things crypto. Today I have Sophie on the show. Sophie found herself in the crypto space after leaving a successful career behind in traditional finance sector. She now acts as a consultant here at Orange Brick Road as well as for CryptoSense, her own company, where she onboards people as well as advises them into crypto fundamental analysis. So stay tuned as we chat about Sophie's transition into the crypto space from traditional finance, different protocols, validating coins, and fundamental analysis. Enjoy. Welcome to the Orange Brick Road podcast. Um, today we have a special guest and a good friend of mine. Um, once again, just full transparency, she's my bestie. All right. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> Cool. It's Sophie. So say hello, Sophie. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. I'm pretty excited to be here as part of um, the OBR podcast. And yeah, you're one of my besties, dude. Like I'm really <laughs> enjoying being in this space, getting to know people who are deeply committed to the expansion of the crypto space and supportive of protocols and um, digital assets and all their shapes and forms. Yeah, because it is a community eh? and you meet the best people. You know, you really, really do. Like, um, I think, think over the last couple of years since I've become sort of more public and gone to, to, to uh, you know, meetups and that sort of thing. Because before, when I first started, it was very insular. You know, I was just learning all by myself. And then when you sort of get your head around it, you then start expanding and talking to other people. I've met the most amazing people in the last two or three years. I take that as a compliment. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, know had, I know we've had a lot of kind of challenges about our points of view, particularly on fundamental analysis, but we'll get to that yeah. later on. But look, I think you're right. It, you know, in all good humor and all seriousness, one thing I have found coming from the TradFi sector is that you don't generally have this sense of collegial um, disposition between people who are supportive of, um, you know, different protocols. And here I have found people who are supporting one chain versus another, those who are not maximalists in that way, but yeah. who are very open-minded, um, open source focused, decentralists. They really see the benefit and the beauty of kind of like a grass movements led um, initiative to bring um, all aspects of finance more directly to members of the public who have generally been locked out of these asset classes and these um, this this form of of yeah this form of you know financial and um, asset wealth creation. So that's why I really am all about the community and helping people to learn and educate, 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 and take responsibility for whatever you do in these markets. Yeah, 100%, because um, uh, just go into a little bit about your background, because I know that you were in traditional finance for, for a while. Yeah. So, yeah, just give us a little brief um, sort of uh, a bird's eye view or a five-minute rundown on your resume, mate. <laughs> Get the whole <laughs> resume out. That's it will be. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Government while I was at university and then post that, you know, traditional finance. Literally, I was employed. This is the funniest thing. A friend of mine, she did a master's in economics and we went um, to the same franchise to get um, employment, you know, interviews. And I basically came out ahead. I got a call later in the day went in in the morning to say, would you like um, to accept a contract to work with us? 
And my friend was like so perplexed. She said, I have a master's in economics. Like, why did they take you, someone with a psychology background um, and sociology background? And I said, well, they told me because, you know, I have this capacity to interact with humans and really to get them. And they just need people who can relate to human beings. They can teach <laughs> you all the rest of the TradFi stuff while you're, <laughs> they got you in-house. Because so... you, you can talk non-geek to non-geek people. Yeah. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and I think that's really what these markets are about. You know, they really weave a compelling narrative. So just to finish off the CV bit, so, yeah, most of my career has been in traditional banking finance um, with a major franchise globally uh, in the New Zealand and London office. Um, and I think I came away from that feeling a little bit disillusioned, thinking there's got to be more to um, a debt financing world than this. I've got to be looking for other opportunities, I think, to bring more equity to people having access to wealth creation opportunities beyond what banks are doing, you know, to engineer the markets pretty much in their favour. And, you know, that part of the banking system really sat um, unfavorably with me. And it led to me literally leaving um, back in 2012. I went into private equity for a little bit, you know, after I finished my track five um, career. But um, I just wanted to look for something that was more human-centered, person-centered, really like enriching um, the, the little person. Not that there are little people, you know, the everyday person who's looking for other tools. And, uh, you, and you've, you've obviously found a home here in the crypto world yeah most definitely and i mean like just interestingly if you think it's interesting i i, I was part of the bitcoins and barley meetup group and i had a dev friend and he said you've got to get in involved with this community like if you're not going to go back into tradfi come and get involved in this community and see what uh, the crypto sector is all about and that was back in Ubud in 2013. I think I went to my first meetup and um, it's just pretty much the rest is history. I just continued to learn, to work through all of my cynicism and skepticism about these markets, you know, because like they were, um, they were very volatile. I didn't understand the volatility of them. And I certainly didn't understand the technology stack either. I really didn't get how it um, impacted me because all of the people in the room were mostly devs. There were very few non-technical people and they were speaking at such a level that I couldn't really understand. You know, they were talking about TBLs and, you know, chartists and all of this kind of thing, which is all great, of course, but it was such a steep learning curve. I really had to ask myself continually, what is the relevance of these markets for somebody like me or people like me? And is that where you were introduced to, to crypto, was it? Like in, in Bali, just at a meetup or a friend got you involved or how did, how did yeah, that all work well, out? It was, my, it was a developer friend, Renee, and um, he's been like very interested and he's a blockchain developer and he just teaches himself. Like he just taught himself a bunch of new um, languages because of, you know, this movement. I think he learned Rust and Ruby on Rails. I'm not even sure if Ruby on Rails is related to the protocol that he was looking at at the time, but just so simply interested in thinking about how creative developers were, are about, you know, proliferating the open source nature of um, the decentralized finance protocols or mostly the layer one protocols. It was mostly conversations about Ethereum, conversations about Bitcoin. There was a very strong Bitcoin maximalist kind of flavor to the group. And it was called Bitcoins and Bali. It was run by macroeconomist Gary. And it was like the coolest thing, you know, like a really even number of women and men, but they just all seem to really dig this idea of decentralization and 
you know, they talked about things like scalability, like I really didn't have any idea. It was just like going right over my head, but I just could see the energy in the room, you know, when you're just with a bunch of people who are super enthusiastic, you know, it feels a bit fringe on the margins and things on the margins always really appeal to me because that's where growth is as a human being. And I think with technologies, and I knew in the TradFi sector, there wasn't a lot of growth going on. In fact, it seemed like that business model was shrinking and becoming, you know, more and more, I think, um, irrelevant from a creative perspective. And, you know, shrinking margins are a good way for you to see your future. You need to think about your career. You know, maybe I need to be looking elsewhere to, um, you know, expand my knowledge base and my enjoyment of um, my career prospects. So what did you like, because you worked in traditional markets for many years, um, do you think that that helped um, you in any way or set you up in any way to, to have a more of an understanding of, of crypto? Like, did you bring anything from that community into this community? Yeah, it's pretty humbling because, to be honest, like the simplistic tool set that I brought from that um, that that way of doing business into the crypto markets is simply this. It's understanding, you know, what are the fundamentals that make a business really good? And why would you want to back them? Why would you want to extend any credit to them? Why would you want to, you know, like offer them any kind of range of, you know, debt options to help them to grow or expand their business? And I simply applied, I think, a very similar approach to the crypto protocols. So I looked at them as businesses decentralized businesses, but businesses nonetheless. And what I was trying to understand is like, what are the critical factors that make these businesses successful as businesses? So it's offering, it's, it's, it's like the long-term effect of saying to somebody who maybe is coming to you for a mortgage, I think most people understand that, or maybe a car loan or a personal loan, you're doing business with a human being. And, um, you know, they have inflow of cash coming in, uh, they've got the capacity to service debt with you and, you know, you're going to look at, like, their history, right? Sure. Their history of credit, their history of income generation and their future prospects. So your way you're going to structure your loan with them, for example, super simple, is based upon a few things, you know, related to their capacity to generate and sustain servicing your debt over time and so i brought that very simple analogy into the crypto markets looking each and every one of the businesses as long-term potentials for um an investment on that basis trying to understand the long-term value yeah because um i mean there's so many areas to go into in the crypto verse you know and it's almost like um you bring a unique set of skills from your previous experience in, in traditional finance to the crypto industry. And I think a lot of other people are doing that as well. They're migrating into, uh, once they get their head around the technology and, and the prospect of, and all that sort of thing. So you've ended up running like um, your own business or, and, and several, you're involved in several different things, um, like uh, a crypto sense, yeah? When did you start that and why did you start it? Well, I started that. I pivoted back in 2021 in January because more officially here, now I live in Australia. So um, just to be clear, I was actually doing crypto coaching back in 2016 over in Bali um, with, with friends um, as well as people internationally um, through a women's group I used to belong in. Um, it was a really big thing for the women's group to understand, you know, what are the, some of the financial tools to help us to become, you know, more 
you know, wealth conscious and creative about our money generating capacities. And so I did a lot of online to major groups, like we had big group calls and we would talk about all things cryptocurrency and we had a lot of a telegram channel. And then I stopped doing that when I came and relocated to Perth. But I decided in 2021, you know, we're at the end of the bear market. And generally, you know, when things are coming into um, a bull market, you get a lot more optimism and a lot more kind of activity. So I wanted to be a part of that because, you know, 2016 was the same situation. It was preceding, you know, the bull market. There was a quietness about it, but people were really optimistic. In 2017, I literally had more of my clients <laughs> during the ICO, you know, high, um, yeah, hype, that, that, that market. And so that was the reason for doing it coming here. And it's just a passion of mine. It's something that I've been involved with personally as an investor for that long. And I am a long-term investor. I consider myself to be an investor and not a trader. A yeah. trader being somebody who's really looking to um, gain their profits and returns from short-term market movements. And, you know, people are very skilled at doing that. They use charts and a whole range of other technologies that I don't rely upon. So I simplify for myself with crypto sense and um, interacting with people who want to um, take long-term positions um, within the markets. I'm not um, an advisor, so I never advise someone, but I educate them as to the perspective that I bring to the markets about how they could look at, you know, some core success factors that potentially if monitored and understood um, over time can help them to make some, you know, positive decisions about deploying whatever portion of their funds that they have available to invest in a particular protocol over a three to five year time frame. Yeah, I, I, I think that that time horizon is a minimum three to five years, you know, and I explain that to clients as well. You know, it, it is, you've got to look at it like that as, as a minimum. What sort of, um, what sort of clients, uh, well, no, it's a, it's a general sort of a question, but what sort of clientele uh, do you think that are attracted to your type of services? <laughs> Well, mostly men. Right. <laughs> there are mostly men, I think, who are active in this market. I know that there were some statistics that came out in Australia recently, which talked about a lot more women getting involved. Oh, yeah. They yeah. being, um, you know, like at the forefront, at least, of initiating their foray into the crypto markets um, in 2021. So um, maybe there'll be a little bit more of an upturn and and having female clients, but mostly uh, male clients who have got disposable income and they really want to know, um, how to improve their current knowledge. So they're generally not people who are completely green. They're people who are either semi-trading, trading, and they don't know about fundamental analysis. They've heard about it and they want to really expand their knowledge base, their knowledge set. Um, one female client, that being said, uh, she had been in the markets. So I think she had a little over 30,000 um, Australian dollars um, deployed and it was just kind of accidental money that happened to be just invested in on tips from friends over preceding years. And she said, you know what? She said, I've traded many other types of instruments, but not cryptos. However, I've got this portfolio that's sitting there. I'd really like to understand it because she said, I, I can't get my head around what right. the fundamentals of this market are. I see the charts. I can understand that. But I'd like to go a little bit deeper. So um, she was ready to explore it. And she was so satisfied, I think that she had another perspective that she could bring to her portfolio, which she will now go ahead as a result of our work and uh, consolidate. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah, cool. Because, yeah, we've all got to do that time to time. Because I end up buying things and I've even forgotten I've got them. And all of a sudden, I've got like 40, 60 different coins and half of them I can't remember. So, okay, time to consolidate. <laughs> we, we get them all in the, in the you know, one little pa manageable package, you know. Um, so, okay, so give me an example. Like if if I'm I like, okay, I've heard about this crypto thing. Um, don't know a lot about it. Um, I've heard good things about different projects, but I don't understand the fundamentals about it or, or how to choose an investment. What's the process that you take people through? Well, here's the thing. This is what it is and this is what it is not. I really have, um, for my own personal benefit and also for those of clients, I would, it'd be fair to say, you know, researched around 20 templates and I create templates based on what I consider having kind of overviewed the market to look at those protocols, which I have a degree of, you know, a pretty high degree of comfort with. Some of them are more kind of risk um, averse and some of them are more um, kind of like, they're, they're newer, they have a higher kind of a risk profile, if you will. And so I've already made a pre-selection of various templates of protocols or, um, you know, layer two applications that I think um, are solid and solid from the perspective of, you know, they tick all the boxes vis-a-vis -vis the, um, you know, the network effect that has literally been generated in terms of um, community participation in those protocols. And you can see that um, by taking a look at, you know, the, the blockchain metrics, you can see the truth of a bit uh, and then also by from the point of view of you know the projects themselves having docs teams i mean you can see we've had some amazing shams out there in the market and uh, people who are not doxed and are not showing themselves to the market you know you can almost say you know do you want to be involved in putting money into projects where people are unwilling you know to talk publicly and openly to people who want to support and participate um, in their projects and the third thing is also the financial metrics. I think those are really important to look at. I'm just talking about the simple ones like, you know, market cap and volume. You know, those are good proxies for value on a changeable basis. But the underlying, I think, um, pieces of information that we don't often talk about are the network effects, the blockchain metrics, which show in literally the health of a particular network over and above the hype that you might see um, in tw on Twitter or, um, you know, in like online website magazines and things like that. So I show people how to really distinguish what the value and the health of a network is in that way, using some very simple blockchain um, explorer metrics. And they're not all the same for every project, by the way. Some blockchain explorers have got more in-depth data feeds that they can, um, you know, show to the public versus others that are a bit more scant and in development in that regard. So, so like, just just for my clarity, like, do you go like, um, say, use case, you know, market fit, adoption rate, um, look at the adoption rate, whether it's organic or it's paid, you know, because you do get a lot of projects that just shill, you know, and they, they put like, um, and they have entire farms that just just shill. So is is that how you you do it? You basically go, okay, does it does this project have a use case in in, in the, the community. Okay, yes, it does. Okay, on what metric or what scale? Um, what else is out there on the market that is competing with? What is it doing that's unique in the marketplace? 
what's the adoption rate, what's the team, what's the inflation, what's their burn rate. You, you go into all that sort of thing and you've yeah, got like so stages. I wonder if I could share my screen, but I don't know if that's permissible or what you want in this um, recording because like quite quite simply it's this. The four factors are, you know, social media and community engagement and you spoke about the adoption rate and, you know, organic versus non-organic. I don't really get into that because I think that some people, they'll just have a look and say, oh, my gosh, they've got over a million followers. Like Bitcoin's got like 4.4 and they think, okay, you know, back of the envelope, that looks like not an unreasonable number. That looks like a project that's really very popular. Let's say I knew nothing about <laughs> the Bitcoin protocol in depth. I've just heard what I've heard through the mainstream media and it's not always positive, but, you know, that could be a point of validation. Some people want to be a part of a project which has quite a number of um you know, social media followers. And you, you can't tell from that number clearly whether they are participants who are actually investing their money. So you don't know if they're putting their money where their mouth is in that regard. But nonetheless, you just get a sense, right? Versus, you know, another protocol which might have under 100,000. So obviously the difference between the two is one is nascent and maybe a very kind of like a low cap. And then the other, like Bitcoin, you could say, well, you know, there's more traction. So I think I'd be interested to look at that one a little bit more. And then when you get into like the um, on-chain network usage or the, 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 the public blockchain metrics, then you can explore things like, for example, and Bitcoin is probably the most easiest one to use um, this, this um, methodology is to say, well, you know, how many, how many miners are there kind of like operating this system if you understand what Bitcoin is? Like, you know, what does a decentralized system look like? Does it mean if you have 2,000 miners, it's a decentralized system, or maybe 10,000 or 100,000? Like, what is the, um, the distributed effect of the number of players who are actually operating and supporting the viability of this, uh, this platform? So that's a place where you can get validation of the moving data in that regard. You can even see, for example, with the transaction hashing power, when um, there are less miners who are open and supportive of the network. And one of the most critical factors was 2021, back in about May, I think, was it May, June? Yes, May, when the Chinese government illegalized Bitcoin. You could see like, you know, a 20% drop in mining activity. It was probably more. And that was directly as a result of the hashing power being switched off in China. Yep. And then you could see like over the next couple of months, that growth regenerating externally to China. You know, they say, oh, I mean, I don't have the proof of it, but you could see the hashing power, at least on the blockchain, coming back online up to kind of pre um, announcements of illegalization of mining in, in China. So this can really help you to understand, I think, from a fundamental point of view, what the network health is like. And I've just used a very basic example, but you don't actually get to see that just by listening to a report. Oh, yeah, there's been a drop or looking at charts. You, you get a confidence about understanding where using data, which is publicly available, you yeah. can verify for yourself the validity of these statements that have been made. So that's just a very basic example. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm hearing you. Do, do, do you look into things like um, like what's been built on top of, of protocols, like what's been built on top of Definitely. Polygon, Matic, Solana, Cardano? Yeah, because that's, to part me, of the that's adoption. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. It's really critical because, you know, that I would put into the category of um, probably like um, project management, project data. It, that, that to me points out like the expansiveness of the business use case. But now that we've got little cross chains and power chains and all that sort of stuff happening, all these things that we couldn't foresee like a, even a couple of years ago and where, it, where it's sort of heading and developing, it's, um, I think what's happened in the last sort of three to five years is going to be nothing compared to what's going to happen in the next three to five. You know, do you reckon you'd agree with that? Yes, I, I, I do agree. And look, you know, one of the areas, and maybe I could just like um, talk about a couple of other projects that I'm really passionate about at the moment um, that I'm involved in, is that these markets are becoming more sophisticated you know, it's taking a lot of pain, I think, to get there because we are still getting, you know, these massive um, kind of like exploits that are going on in the market. You know, it's an unfortunate thing. It really is a very unfortunate thing because I think that tarnishes the image and tarnishes the rate of adoption. Nonetheless, you know, that also goes on in the traditional finance market. So let's just be very clear. I think the MSM are very quick to point out the problems that come, you know, with rug pulls and, and various other things in these markets. But just looking at the growth potential, absolutely. And one of the areas which I think where adoption could be so much faster and more rapid for people who've got no interest in trading, no interest in understanding the underlying value of protocols, could be through the NFT markets. And the NFT markets are becoming incredibly sophisticated and they're merging with GameFi, they're merging with metaverse kind of products and services. And, um, you know, I'm involved in two projects at the moment, which are very passionate about having NFTs be at the core of their value um, offering proposition. So I think that that's really cool to see that we do have capacity for real businesses to use NFTs as a way of delivering value and service, you know, to their customer base or their potential customer base. Yeah, right, down from everything, <coughs> from music to, to real estate to gold mines to um, pictures, artwork. You absolutely, know. absolutely. And um, I was really also quite enamored by a dev friend who just sent me a link to um, this project which can actually help you to stake your NFTs. Like um, it's getting to a very sophisticated level where people are going to reward you for doing what you would do in a decentralized finance manner, although this is a little bit different because the rewards do not need to be and probably ought not to be, but you know, that depends on the creative team. Um, tokens, it could be tokens, but it could be like enhanced user experiences yep. or access to enhanced user experiences because fans of say creative artists, I know you've got music in your blood. <laughs> they might want to offer rewards as being new experiences with the artist as opposed to money. And all of that can be like tracked in terms of the fidelity and long-term um, support that a, a customer or a user or a fan might have by, you know, staking contracts. So that was kind of like a new reveal for me last night. So I don't know everything there is to know. Like these markets are so diverse. They, they move so rapidly. You know, it's very hard to say you're an expert of anything and everything. But I think you just keep in the game and keep learning. Um, and being in projects which are going to help to, you know, bring innovation, I think, to the forefront. Yeah, well, that this is right. I mean, we do this full time and we struggle to keep up, you know, yeah. like <laughs> we do this all day, every day. You do? 
<laughs> but it's it's good <laughs> having it's good having other people around you um, that specialize in different areas though you know because if I want to know anything to do with um, fundamental analysis I know to call you or nfts or um, Julia do you know what I mean or Abidi for this or Jordan for that or Harlan for yeah. this and they all specialize on John o, Manor farm and the drip network and you know all these different areas because you literally cannot keep up. Hi, everyone. Just a quick plug before we get back to the show. Crypto markets can be quite overwhelming space to be involved in, especially if you're starting out. There is a lot to get your head around, like security, purchasing crypto, exchanges, wallet, taxes, and a whole bunch more. That is why we've pulled together an expert consultants to help you through the journey. If you jump on our site at orangebrickroad.com.au forward slash crypto dash consulting, you will find a number of different consultants with specialties in different areas. Simply book a call with a consultant and you're off and running. Once again, that is orangebrickroad.com.au forward slash crypto dash consulting. One of the beautiful use cases that I'm working with is a project called Ocean Floor Music, and that's a local Perth-based WA project. And, you know, the heart between behind the musicians who are the co-founders of this project and really enabling um, people, artists, creatives to come to the, yeah, to, to really be pushed at the top of the value chain in terms of having their projects produced, um, sure. you know, having a platform for crowdfunding, you know, the project um, value in, in, in the OFM token. You know, for me, I was so passionate about that because I thought, you know, I love music. I don't know that many people who don't love some form of music, whether it be spiritual chanting or, you know, heavy metal or, you know, kind of indie. <laughs> yeah, sure. It, it, it's a unifier. It doesn't matter what's left or right on the political, uh, you know, sphere or whether you're into sports or you like playing, um, you know, golf, you know. The, the one thing that I, I think in Australia we've got sort of um, a few common uh, links is music, definitely, sport and drinking, you know. <laughs> in that order. <laughs> Probably, probably the opposite way around, and actually. New Zealand, maybe barbecues and boating. Yeah, cool. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, like, look at the use case for the music industry. And, like, I'm tracking about eight different protocols at the moment to look at how they're using um, Web3 technologies to create viable, long-term, sustainable uh, projects, which give another way of artists to engage in doing what they really love getting the value that really they deserve. I mean, 15% in the traditional um, legacy music industry, you know, of, of the overall value of your, um, of music that's generated off your back, I'm going to say it that way, I hope it doesn't come across wrong, but literally that's the way I think it is, um, comes back to you, the artist. And the rest goes to the distribution and other kind of mechanism in the industry and to me I thought you know like wouldn't it be great to just have another way that artists would have more direct access with less of the intermediary costs built in um, and have more direct access to their fans without having to route them through yeah that these, these centralized organizations like Sony and EMI and Mushroom and that sort of stuff that have had a monopoly for so long and when you say that an artist gets 15 percent that's not off what's generated that's what's left you know, okay, okay, you know, right, okay. That's right. literally that's what's left. And, and right. no artist that I know, and well, some of them 
like the bigger ones have sued record companies in order to see the books. Right. You know, to go, okay, what was your expenditure and, and all that sort of stuff to Fantastic. see what was actually left over, yeah. you know. But you, you had to be like a really big artist to do that, like the, a, a, a medium to small artist who just wouldn't have the money, the time or the energy, you know. And that's what, kind of what I like about cutting them them because I, I know the project you're talking about, we've spoken about it a couple of times, is the direct connection to um, their client base. You know, or their, their fan base, basically. Okay, you're, it's almost like a subscription model with the NFTs and that sort of stuff where depending on what level you'll get, you'll get first release of tickets or options for it, backstage passes, um, private chat rooms, um, extra features, and, you know, that the artists themselves can offer all these other things as opposed to a record label goes, oh, there's a CD and a poster. Yeah, so you know? to be really clear, like Ocean Floor Music is not proposing in any way, shape or form to retain rights to any of the, the copyright. Like it's a platform. It's providing the infrastructure for the crowdfunding to actually take place. You know, the crowdfunding is OFM. And then on the back of that, it's like, well, okay, you need more than that. You know, you also be needing to offer uh, rewards and incentives to people to actually participate in your crowdfunding as well. Or you might have other unique um, items that you might want to just literally sell to also augment your revenue flow. So, you know, it's proposing to be a very value-added business, Web3 business in that regard. Um, so yeah, and I'm all for it. Hopefully it's going to re-inject into the music industry, um, you know, some really good talent that uh, in the normal sphere of things just wouldn't have the opportunity. And the you one know? thing I find really good, it's not about shilling, but just to see how sensible the ecosystem is, there are industry producers um, and audio engineers, sound engineers, you know, mentors, all sorts of things who are willing to actually interact with the OFM ecosystem and literally be paid in these tokens. So it's a great way to look at, you know, creating value um, in a in a system which um, can, you know, literally at a future point also be off-ramp. Like if you need to off-ramp um, your tokens, you know, there is that capacity as well. But it's about helping people to understand that you can actually do business, you know, with tokens and they do hold value. Yeah, that's right. It's another ecosystem, you know, and um, yeah, I've looked into it. I think it's a great idea, you know, but um, um, that's just one of, many examples of how blockchain and this technology is re sort of revamping industries right down to real estate to um art music pretty much you name it i can i can see that blockchain and uh is gonna pretty much change just about everything right down to supply chains you know mm -hmm. uh, inventories the whole nine yards so if that's one project thing i'd like to um, just like touch on very briefly is like the gamefly industry like oh um, yeah huge yeah you know for example there's uh that radar they're uh an aggregator of um of activity and i'm not saying that everything that goes through OpenSea and all of those other big um marketplaces are all related to games but you know the nft market you know, I think since Dap Raider started aggregating its data is about like 54 billion. Look, I think the turnover is at least a minimum of 5 billion from the marketplaces that they um, follow per month. So that's a pretty hefty and growing, you know, market. And a great percentage of those would be attributable to um, NFTs that would be used, minted, created, minted, and, you know, resold on the secondary market and then deployed within games. Yep. Um, within, you know, within Web3 companies. So this is like a massive, I think, 
industry that is about to be set off. Like there's a lot of criticism of why we would do it this way, but I think that's what innovation is about. It's testing the boundaries about how to use NFTs, about giving more power over the assets that are within the games. My son used to play like this game where he had skins. I don't really remember the name of it, but he never owned those skins. He couldn't trade those skins outside of the game. He yep. had to only trade them within the game. And when he wanted to off-ramp, basically he had to ditch them. If he stopped playing the game, those skins had no future value for him, which is very different. When you look at the NFT market, you know, those assets that you purchase within the game, like the skins, the whatever else, I don't know, maybe little treasures, the diamonds, the crystals, the the swords, everything else, yeah, sure. you, know, you get yeah. to trade them on a secondary market if you want to exit them. So you've actually paid for them and you retain value and some ownership over them. And so I think it's a very new way to encourage the game um, industry to think about how they create games and um, how you know they allow people to have more and more access to their own value that they create. Like you purchase the thing, why shouldn't you be able <laughs> you know, to resell it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think the gaming and virtual reality and all that sort of stuff it hasn't even started. It really is um, at it, at its peak where you've got things like McDonald's in the, in the VR and all that and um, Nike that are all getting involved in, in Web3, you know, where you can walk around and um, walk into a Nike store and check out different shoes. I, I like that shoe, order the size, all that sort of thing, and then it gets delivered to your home, you know. It just it's things like that are amazing, like walk into a pizza hut or whatever and make your own pizza and virtual reality while you're talking to your friend and order it and it gets delivered to your home, yeah, you know, nice. like uh, uh, get, go on cruise ships, you know, or, or mountain climbing on, on tour guides and all that sort of stuff, you know, like with Sandbox and Decentraland and Axiom and all these other things that just doing amazing things. Uh, I, I think it's going to be in eight, ten years, it's going to be unrecognisable to, to what we're experiencing so. now. And I think everyone has to think through for themselves, you know, do they want to be wearing those 3D glasses or whatever they are, you know, to kind of navigate through through the world. And everyone has choice, I believe. Um, I'm just very interested to see, you know, how this technology can be a benefit yeah. to people. Um, and I'm choosing to be involved in a project, um, you know, I'm a co-founder of it. Actually, it's called Rumor Barbershop, and it's a pivot of two um, kind of like failed efforts to bring regenerative agriculture into the forefront as a regenerative agriculture um, certification business and as a regenerative agriculture marketplace business. So the really cool thing is, you know, together with the other co-founders, we sat down and we thought, well, look, we haven't been able to convince the market to get involved at that level of having a certification system which showed that they were regenerative agriculturalists making food that's produced in the, in the most healthiest way um, for human beings and the planet, you know, like achieving on both counts there. So why don't we look at um, our third option? Um, and the objective was really to educate people everywhere about the benefits of regenerative agriculture, of producing food in such a beneficial way. And out of that came a game. So we've created these very beautiful NFTs, which are called Roos. Um, and I know there are kangaroo projects out there in the markets and, you know, we wish them well. Of course, we're not competing against you. But Roo Mob Barbershop, you know, it's really about um, when you have one, it's a statement that speaks to, you know, I, I love the, the health of the soil. I love, you know, land care. This is what I stand for. 
I mean, soil health is a very big part of um, the degeneration of our food supply and the quality of it. So um, the game literally is created to help bring awareness to that. But it's got to be very entertaining, of course. But the NFTs um, are a great part of that ecosystem as well. What's the name of the project? Rumob Barbershop. And why a barbershop? Because a barbershop is a metaphor in our world for reflection and transformation and thinking about transforming the land, but transforming the human beings who eat better, who eat healthier, and they have sustainable incomes. I mean, the rate of suicide amongst um, agriculturalists in Australia over the last 10 years has been at an all-time high and um, our environmental scientist on our team, you know, he's like brought that to our attention. And he said, look, if there's anything we can do to also share the message about promoting, you know, mental health awareness and improvement, then, you know, we would like to kind of intertwine that into our, um, our vision for the project. So it's very much part of it. Oh, that's awesome. Can, can you, um, maybe it's just uh, your, your little bit of a Kiwi accent that's coming out even now and then, or oh, that was actually sounded South African. Um, <laughs> can, 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 the, 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 the rhubarb barbershop, can you spell that for us, please? So, no. Roo. Or just say it in English, one of the two. Roo as the diminutive of kangaroo, R-O-O. Roo mob as in a cohort or group of kangaroos. I think that's. Roo. I didn't know that. Mob. Mob. Okay. Barbershop. Yeah, like gangster, mob, barbershop. Yeah, remob barbershop. And that's the name of the team. That's the name of the project. And that will be the name of the game. Um, And it's very fun, but it's a way of really generally connecting. And look, what I'm saying is it's just a use of these digital assets. These digital assets are proxies for value and they're proxies for value within the game. And they will only be meaningful to people who care about, you know, this type of a project and want to be a part of it um, and support also some of the um, the funds that are going to be distributed back into the community of farmers, into the community of um, organisations who care about animal conservation or environmental conservation causes and mental health causes. And this is the cool thing about some of the Web3 companies that I can see out there, or with them also being the case, is creating donations to organisations that really are making a social impact in their chosen areas. Yeah, and it's going directly to them. It's not going through, um, you know, paying for CEOs and, and, you know, to fly around everywhere and have nice cars and eat at nice restaurants, you know. Pretty much. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, I've got a big thing against charities. I, th- I think that they waste, you know, for every dollar, I think that actually goes to th- what they're promoting. Uh, I, I reckon every dollar that's donated, probably 10 cents actually hits the ground. You yeah, know, that, that makes a difference. Yeah, of course. I, c- I completely understand. And like one of the charities that we're dealing with, like they publish their, their results. Um, they don't even have an office. So they've been Excellent. around for maybe 15, 20 years. And, you know, they create, generate on, a, well, pre-COVID times, I think they're mm, seven figures consistently per year in, in donation revenue. And their overheads are so small. I think it's roughly no more than 20% of all the money wow. that they bring in is actually used for overheads. Most of it goes directly back to purchasing land to help the environments of these animals that they are protecting, you know, to live on, basically. And then the farmers and the people who work around them and in them, um, in these protective environments, to be resourced, you know, to be supportive in that ecosystem as well. So Yeah, I'm really hoping that um, that uh, blockchain and, and uh, the 
the technology that we're developing now, or we I count myself a part of it. I'm not a dev. I, I would never be one. They're just too weird. And you, you, you know that too because you've met some. Yes, and I'm talking about you, Karen. Um, <laughs> they are. They're a certain breed, aren't they? <laughs> They've just got this other way of kind of like developing their creative ideals for society, and I, I think that's the beauty of it. Like, I, I love them because uh, they just view the world in such a really strange, different way of looking at it, and they're the type of people I love. I like the misfits and the you know um, the the outcast and that sort of thing, which okay, is cool. So I just fit right in there, yeah, mate. <laughs> yes, sister. <laughs> I had to um, consider myself to be that mainstream. For <laughs> You're definitely not mainstream, mate. <laughs> Going to test to that. I had um, I was about to say his name, but I had um, uh, one of the guys come in the other day, and he was explaining to me about um, the forking of Ethereum into Pulse Chain and how the coins are going to be copied over and right. all this sort of stuff. And and I went, dude, I'm not following you. I don't understand, <laughs> right? And um, so I said, listen because I've got whiteboards all over the place. I'm like, here, come and draw it, you know, <laughs> so I can visually see it and ask questions. And he's drawing it uh, and he's just looking at me, just going, you got it? And then just kept on going, you got it? And I'm like, every time he looked at me, I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> and, he just... <laughs> <laughs> and he carried on his move. <laughs> like, I've been in crypto a while. I understand certain things and I've got sort of a, a reasonable, I would think a reasonable understanding. And I'm like, um, I went to say his name again. I went, dude, um, Please don't explain this to anyone else again the way you've just explained it to me, especially a new person. Yeah, get somebody like me to do it for you. That's right. I need a translator, right? <laughs> so we've organized, <laughs> we've organized for him because uh, what we're doing at Orange Bit Road is uh, we're getting people on to do <coughs> and um, – uh, they go and they talk about different protocols and, you know, because this person's involved in this baking thing and all that sort of stuff. And yes, so I think and you know who I'm talking about now. Okay. Um, and then they do a demo and then people can just ask some questions. And on the website, okay, it's, it's going to pop up like, you know, this week we're touching on this network, this, uh, you know, each week different ones. And I'm like, dude, if we're going to get you on, first off, because we are doing it already, we're doing it internally. So we're just doing it amongst our teachers and, and people we know before we unleash them to the public, you know. So they sort of nail their presentation down and the type of questions they're going to get. And I'm like, dude, if any time that you're going to do a presentation, we need a translator, you know, someone that can go. Because they're so smart, right, that they're, they're, they're such intellectuals that – when they explain things to you, they think that you can keep up and you, they, they have like a lot of assumptions. And I like it, sometimes it's like talking to an alien, you mm -hmm. know, it really feels like that. And don't get me wrong, I love them. I love them with all my heart. It's just like you really shouldn't go out in public alone, you know, sometimes. Yeah, like it's really niche. These conversations are really niche. And something I do appreciate that being said is there is the capacity for pretty much anyone who's just got an interest and open-mindedness about learning any level of the um, technologies or the financial kind of um, flows that go through value flows that go through these protocols like if you've got any interest in any of that i think you're going to get it at some level what the cryptocurrency markets are and learn to see um, 
I think the, the maturation of certain parts of the market, like the protocols, the layer one versus the layer two applications, the layer three applications, uh, for example, the NFT markets, the decentralized finance markets. I mean, like there's going to be aspects of um, the way that these markets are kind of like uh, maturing in, in very specific and different ways now. And more, they're becoming more distinguishable that, you know, whatever is of interest to you, you can perhaps interact with that part of it and nothing else. You don't have to necessarily take on exposure to the entire market, although understanding the risk and the systemic risks is something which I enjoy doing because risk management is, I think, your priority when you want to be part of these markets. Oh, yeah, 100%. And, um, and I, I think that's kind of a, a downfall. It was for me when I first started too, is that I wanted to know everything. Mm-hmm. You know, and you, you just don't have the capacity to do it. You know, like you can have a broad understanding of things, but then you kind of find your niche, you know, and things that you like and the things that you appreciate. Because if you were try, to try to understand every aspect of the market, one, your head would explode. And I think what happens with a lot of people when they first start is they want to learn all this. So they throw themselves at every single different aspect and it becomes so overwhelming that they just stop. You know, mm. and, and then they stop looking in the crypto. They go, oh, it's too, too confusing. actually, because it feels like sometimes with any new technology um, or any new goal that you might be setting for yourself, so if your goal is to actually invest or to trade in these markets, um, you know, you're going to hit some kind of like barrier, aren't you? Some fear barrier at some point. And um, I think one of the things is the smart thing to do is maybe just to sit back, give yourself a little bit of time and keep going. Because like we've got to reprogram ourselves, I think, outside of our comfort zone. To be in the comfort zone is to really let other financial institutions and um, investment organizations basically take care of your financial wealth for you. Yep. And because when you start putting yourself into the I am responsible for informing myself about how to interact now with you know wealth creation tools that I've never had access to before, it's a complete mindset change. So I just kind of offer a word of encouragement to people out there. If that's you, um, you know, take a pause, but please come back. You will find your level of comfort somewhere in the markets. You will find people that you can like get in front of and beside of to learn. You know, you'll go to crypto meetups. I love to do that. I love to hold them, actually. I'll be starting the ones up in Rockingham very soon. Excellent. (laughs) Once we can find a suitable venue. And I think that's just all par for the course. You know, there is no pain without... um, it's growth without pain, um, but pain being a proxy for just being outside of your comfort zone in that way. Yeah, and I kind of love that. I touched on this a couple of podcasts before. Was um, we we do a lot of um, teaching one on one, and um, and generally online screen sharing, um, sometimes in person, depending on where they are or whatever. And there's, there's nothing better, I reckon, um, than having someone that's say, 50 years old plus, right, and they haven't used Zoom before or, um, you know, uh, Skype or whatever. So you're like, okay, hit screen share. Oh, where's that? It's in the middle. Okay, it's at the bottom there. You'll see it. Then, okay, oh, yeah, I've done that. Okay, well, now you've got to affirm it. Oh, where's that? Oh, you'll see it. It'll pop up. And then you finally get them to see the screen and you go, okay, go up to the top left-hand corner and, uh, and click on the thing. No, no. That's the other left. No, no, the, the top, not the bottom. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm not too familiar with it. I'm like, man, I, I think that you're brave to do that because you're 
putting yourself, yourself so out, far out of your comfort zone that you're trying to learn these, these new skills um, and you're doing it in front of someone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I, I applaud that because most people, I mean, it's, it's like when I was teaching music, just to go on another little segue, it's like um, you get someone that's sort of, um, uh, one example was I had this guy, I happened to be in a certain place because my brother was there and all this sort of stuff and this big bricklaying, concreting guy came up to me, sort of 45, 50, maybe a bit older, big goatee, tattoos everywhere and he goes, hey, listen, mate, I heard your, bro- your brother told me that uh, you're a musician and you're a teacher and all that you play guitar and stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. And he goes, well, you, you're going to teach me, all right? <laughs> and I went, <laughs> I went, I'll be honest with you, mate, I normally teach people that already have a sound sort of knowledge in music at the lecture room and all that sort of stuff. I've never taught, so, and I've taught kids, obviously, but I've never taught someone your age, you know, with your background and all that, so I don't know how it's going to go. Anyways, he's like, I don't bloody care, mate, but I'll pay you a carton per lesson, all right? (laughs) All right, brother. Here's your free beer. (laughs) That's right. I went, okay, well, let's just organise that for every Friday afternoon then, shall we? (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, my learning experience, I learned more from him than he would have learned from me, I reckon, just because I had to explain it to him and he didn't have the technical knowledge on how to play music or even how to hold it. You know, and he's like, and he was apologising. He's like, oh, sorry, man, I know other people get, you know. I'm like, dude, what have you been doing for the last 30 years? And he goes, oh, I'm a grano worker, but also da-da-da, you know. And I'm like, okay, cool. you got a family? He's like, yeah, married, and I've got two kids. And I'm like, okay, so you're an honest worker. You're a top bloke. You're a family person. You look after your wife. You look after your kids, and you work hard, and you provide, you know. I, I honour that, mate. But to be honest with you, without sounding insulting, well, when was the last time you had to study and learn anything? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It was probably That's high right. school or his yeah, apprenticeship, right. you know. So I say that to people that are starting crypto, you know, like okay. they might be 35 or 28 or whatever. So when or was the last older. time? That's right, or, or much older, you know. Um, when was the last time you learned anything where you had to study and no it? no apologies about it, are there? There's no apologies. It's like, you know what, wherever you come into the market, it's like it's perfectly fine. Uh, there, there, it, there's everything to be learned uh, and, you know, basically you've got to start somewhere. And I, I really admire how, you know, with your business, you know, you're helping people to just get up and running and, um, you know, take things at their pace, get them into you know, as level of comfort with the markets that they're interested in, you help them to do um, the, the very practical things like actually how to get your wallets um, and to get your accounts in a centralized exchange and all the rest of it so they can actually go to the market directly, you know, to, to make yeah. those, yeah, to make their buys and sells when they need to do that. Yeah, that's right. And, and that's even a learning curve right there. It's not like going to a bank, you know. You've got to be responsible for the keys that you hold. You know, if you're going to go and get a hardware wallet, for example, once again, you've got to be responsible. So there's a lot that's new to learn. And I think that people like you who are out there teaching people these ways, I mean, I feel, you know, that's that's honourable too. I mean, if we didn't have people who are interested in teaching others who didn't know, it, it'd be a little bit messy. Yeah, it would be. It would be. And I think trying to break things down to go, they go, oh, you know, with this and that, and uh, I've heard of this and I've heard that. And I'm like, okay, you don't need to know any of that yet. Okay. You, you need to know this first. And then once you know that, then move on to this. 
you know, because there's that much information out there. You know, it, it, it's, it's almost like shiny object syndrome. Or it's, oh, you know, oh, this, oh, I'm, I'm here, I'm there. It's centralising them down, but also giving them the understanding. Um, and, I, and I know that you do this because you've trained a person or you're training a person that I know and all that, is that when you're teaching someone, you're explaining something to them and clarifying it, but you're personalising it so it's their understanding, whether they're visual, visual or they're hands-on or they're very intellectual or they need to analyse things or whatever. You kind of clarify how they think. But then you, like I'd say with music as well, is 90% of your learning is going to be by yourself, right? So we provide the material, okay, do these courses, read these books, you know, watch these videos, da, 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 go away. And then when you then hook up with them, they then clarify what they've learned in their head by asking questions. Exactly. You know? I encourage question asking all the way through. And, you know, it's generally like for myself when I'm working with somebody um, and they want to have an understanding of how to grow a portfolio, create a portfolio beyond, you know, the basic essentials. So like the crypto coaching is in two parts. There's the basic essentials, the, the basic crypto essentials, which literally just gets you a basic understanding of how to understand the markets, gets your accounts all opened. And, you know, you look at about three protocols in depth. But that in and of itself is enough for some people to say, you know what, that's all I need from you. I'm away. I'm, I'm going to go away and do the rest by myself. Others might come back for round two, which is diversifying your portfolio. So by diversifying the portfolio, it's the potential portfolio that you may or may not want to get. And it's looking at a range of different protocols in a more in-depth um, way to understand what are the benefits, the risks, the use cases, the adoption, all of those things that we spoke about before, and then saying, okay, right, now do I feel on the basis of all that information that I want to create a portfolio um, with those crypto in them? Um, and often people say, look, I want to put gold and I want to put silver. <laughs> I want to put other non-crypto assets into my portfolio as well. So it's pretty smart because they're thinking more broadly than just the crypto markets anyway, but they do want information that will help them to make more, I think, um, informed choices that they don't have to review every day because they're not traders. They would like to review their choices on you know, a three-monthly, six-monthly basis, updating that strategically. They're only putting in what they can afford. Um, clearly, you know, you wouldn't want them to do more than that. Um, yep. It's more marginable, marginal um, kind of investment income for them. Um, versus income that they, re sorry, um, capital than capital that they actually need, you know, to, to live off of. So that's the kind of reasonable people, I think, that are attracted to fundamental analysis. Yeah, and nerdy people like you. <laughs> <laughs> All of the above. <laughs> in this market, doesn't it? But I love it because, you know, fundamental analysis also gives you a good strength to be able to think about um, projects that you might want to get involved with and invest in directly, whether it be in your own equity and time or, you know, cash and money. And these are other pieces, other person's projects too. So, Yeah, but just finishing up, but on that, um, like how we do it once we've had a lesson, whatever, we send them a pack that has these people to follow, right? Mm. Now, when I first started, I subscribed to everybody and try to get information from as many. But over the years, it's got smaller and smaller and smaller, yeah. you know. So now I've only got like three or five people that I, I listen to because yes. I, I know that there are shills out there and they're paid yes. and, and I've learnt that over the years. Yes, yes. 
what what would you say to someone that would say why do i need to do that when i can just follow five of these people on youtube and they do it all for me or um it's a lot easier just if they told me to buy something or i hear it on on, on youtube as opposed to doing my own research well the simple answer is it's all about choice i mean if people want to kind of like outsource everything to someone else but they don't actually take the time to credentialize those people that they're outsourcing their investment decisions to then that's a choice that they can take like i don't deny anyone the opportunity to do that if that's the general way that they act in business there is going to be i guess a consequence of it and it might be a very painful one so it's certainly not one that i recommend but i understand that if people want to have those choices you know like away they go um that they're probably not the kind of people that I'd want to be dealing with. But if people want to take a little bit more of a rational approach and a reasoned approach and say, do you know what? Um, I might listen to two or three people like you do yourself. Yep. And I'm willing to get some education so that I can understand for myself like the legitimacy of somebody's advice, free advice, then I think that's worth paying for. I think that's very smart whether it be your advice, Brandon, or whether, sorry, be your frameworks that you're offering people through your crypto training or mine or, or someone else's. Like fundamental analysis is not personal to me. I just happen to use it in a personalized way with the frameworks that I offer people to work with to evaluate long-term values. So if people are willing to go to that extra level of investment in themselves, investment in, you know, building out a sustainable crypto portfolio then i think by all means engage help if you don't know that much and if you want to get results um in a i think in a more shorter time frame yeah 100 agree with that mate 100 agree all right well thank you very much for your time mrs sophie thank it's been an absolute pleasure <laughs> I'm glad we didn't have a fight about fundamental analysis. It was just wonderful. Now we're going to do that off air. Oh, okay, off air. <laughs> no, no. No, it's been great. I, I love everything that you do. I love the whole OBR project and, um, yeah, bringing together um, different different consultants, different people who are involved in the crypto space um, through OBR. It's just, yeah, it's really cool. It, it's very fun. I, I wish I could have my hat, but I gave my hat to someone to wear and they don't want to give it back. <laughs> so you need another one? <laughs> I need another one. Cool, with, the girl, with the girl piece at the back. You can yeah, I've, I've got some girl out. ones. Yeah, I've got the girl ones. <laughs> cool, man. All right. Thanks, well, hopefully I'll see you soon. All right. All right. Love you, sister. Love you too. See you, maybe. Thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe and share. Follow us on Orange Brick Road on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook.